We're going to read together from Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, as we emphasized often, the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Psalm 56, let's hear the word of God. For those online, the words will come up on screen. Do your best to follow if you can. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me. O thou most high. What time I am afraid. I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Amen. We know the Lord will bless to us this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is taken from Psalm 56. And the verses 3 and 4. It reads as follows. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Now, I've entitled this message, In God have I put my trust, terrified or trusting. You see, Psalm 56 is another miktam of David. And the word miktam means golden. It's like a golden secret that's to be engraved in the heart and mind. At this time in David's life, he finds himself in an extremely dreadful and fearful situation. You see, he's on the run from Saul. He's been hounded and hunted like a wild animal. He's fleeing for his life. And he ends up in a place called Gath. Gath, of course, is west of Jerusalem. It's in the land of the Philistines. Gath is one of the cities of the Philistines. And, and David's hiding here. And remember, he slew Goliath of Gath. 
and took up four other stones to slay his four other brothers who were also giants. So he's, he's hiding out in enemy territory. Now, regrettably, somehow, he is identified by some of the Philistines, captured, brought face to face before the Philistine king called Achish. And of course, it's there that David feigns himself as if he's a madman. And King Achish wouldn't have him in his house. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 to 15. I'm not going to read the passage. You can look it up for yourself. Now think of what is going through David's mind as he stands before King Achish with armed soldiers all around him. What emotions are stirred up in his soul? What does he feel within his very heart? You see, I believe there's a strong lament of fear. He says here, if you look at the text, what time I am afraid. He tells us here, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. He says in verse 11, I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. David's fear is real and it's raw. And yet to overcome this fear... He announces a very strong lifestyle choice in regard to the Lord. In verse 3, he says, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Verse 4, in God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And then again in verse 11, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Three times, while lamenting his fear, he links this fact together. During such times as he's unsettled and overcome with fear and these feelings of raw and real emotion, which he doesn't ignore and we can't ignore them, he tells us to overcome this fear. In God have I put my trust. You see, this psalm, after it was composed, was given to the chief musician. If you look at the title, to the chief musician upon Jonath, Elam, Re, Kokim, Mictam of David, when the Philistines took him in Gath. Those words there, uh, Jonath, Elam, Re, Kokim, have to do with the title of a tune. In other words, it was given to the chief musician. He took it and set it to this tune, Jonath Elam Rekokim. And it means the silent dove in a distant land. Think of that. The silent dove in a distant land. This event took place in David's life between the time he visited the tabernacle at a place called Nob, and his arrival at the cave of Adullam, because after he feigned himself as a madman in the city of Gath, he then escaped to the cave of Adullam. So I want you to think of David in Gath, captured by the Philistines before King Achish. You've got to think of him alone. You've got to think of him captured. He's in the hands of the enemy. You've got to think of him afraid for his life. We could really use the word terrified. He's going to be put to death. And yet in that situation, 
He tells us that he's trusting in the Lord. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. Four little things. One, the problem that David acknowledged. Think of the words, what time I am afraid. I am afraid. Again, as I want you to think of David, he's in Gath. He's been captured by the enemy. There's soldiers all around him with swords and spears. He's alone and he's afraid for his life. He's maybe thinking the Philistines are going to put me to death here. Because remember, he killed their champion, Goliath of Gath. He killed Goliath's brothers. Maybe he's thinking, you know what, the Philistines, to get in good terms of Saul, he'll hand me over to Saul. And Saul is bloodthirsty enough to put me to death. You think of those words, what time I am afraid. Think of those words, I am afraid. Ask yourself tonight, I'm going to ask you, what are you afraid of this evening? You see, some people are afraid of the dark. Do you know that 50% of the population in Northern Ireland are afraid of snakes? You brought a snake into the house of God, I myself wouldn't be touching it. There's other people and they're afraid of spiders. But maybe you're afraid tonight of your finances going to crumble, thinking of the future economic uncertainty that we all face. Maybe you're afraid of the the moral failures that are taking place in society. Maybe you're afraid of a medical problem. You get news from the doctor that whatever you have is incurable. Maybe you're afraid of ISIS taking over the United Kingdom, and there are. Maybe you're afraid of the impact of climate change. Afraid of all this gender ideology. Maybe you're afraid, well, you know what? There's no better for me. Maybe you're afraid of the unknown. Maybe you're afraid for the future of your church, this church, our free Presbyterian denomination. Afraid for the future of our country. What's going to happen to we Northern Ireland? Maybe you're afraid to make a decision in case that decision turns out to be the wrong one or a bad one. Maybe you're like David, you're afraid for your life. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe you're afraid of death. Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of meeting God in the judgment? The Bible says that then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Maybe you're afraid of losing out. How many are afraid of these things? Thousands of others. We could mention fire. We could mention water. We could mention poison. See, fear's real. That fear that I've mentioned is raw. Some fears I acknowledge are unhealthy fears. They're irrational. And they rob you of joy. And they rob you of peace. And they disturb your spirit. And they overwhelm you. In fact, they control you. How many people in Northern Ireland tonight are controlled by fear? Fear of some sort or another. Some other fears are healthy. They're rational fears. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the holy is understanding. Being in the dread of God. Because the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And as I said this morning, that's one of the problems in our province. There's an absence of the fear of God. There's even an absence of the fear of God in many churches tonight. Because they've lost sight of the word of God in the gospel. You see, David's problem, as he stood before King Achish, was predominantly 
one of fear. What time I am afraid. As I've said, he's alone. He's a captive of the Philistines. And he's afraid for his life. And yet in that instant, he tells us this. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. He tells us I will not fear what man can do unto me. 56 and 4. 56 and 11. Let me ask this. Are you living in fear of something tonight? You see, if you're living in fear, you will not function if you're full of fear. You'll certainly not feel good within yourself. You'll certainly feel at a distance from the Lord if you're overcome by fear. You'll feel small. I want to simply ask this. Is that true of you tonight, listening to me? Is that the sum and substance of your life? Your life is unsettled. It's been turned upside down because of something that has come in and has caused you to say, I am afraid. And you're struggling with that tonight. Here's the problem that David acknowledged. I'm afraid. Now notice something else, the principle that David adopted. What does he tell us if you look at the text? What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. He tells us in verse 4, In God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. And again in verse 11, he says, In God have I put my trust. Now, now think of the definition of trust here. You see, when David says, I will trust in thee, when David exclaims, in God have I put my trust, what was he thinking about? What was going through his mind? Now, I have to tell you that David was not thinking of a natural trust in the Lord. All of us have got a natural trust or a natural faith. Let, let me explain. We trust the alarm clock when it goes off at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning or later or earlier. That that's the time to get up. We trust that when we're eating our cereal, whatever it is, wheat of bix or cornflakes or porridge, that it hasn't been poisoned. If I come and whispered into your ear as you were eating your cornflakes or your wheat of bix or your porridge, sorry, there's a wee bit of poison has been put in that. Well, you might spit it all out. We we trust the brakes in the car as we're driving along when we put our foot on the. Uh, middle pedal that the brakes are going to slow the car down and stop the car it would be a terrible thing if I told you as you're driving your car oh by the way your brakes have been tampered with do we not trust the traffic lights red for stop green for go do, do we not trust the doctor when we go to him and he tells us what's wrong with us and makes a prognosis do we not trust the dentist when he tells us that we need so many fillings or this or that or the other? Do we not trust the police when we report a crime? Do, do we not trust in the electricity switch in the house when we pull it down that it'll put the lights on? What if you had the fear of, if I pull this switch down, I'm going to be um, electrified? What about trust in the fire alarm? Go to sleep. If there's a fire breaks out, well, well, the alarm will go off or the smoke alarm will alert us. You see, what I'm saying is there is a natural trust. 
For example, we trust the chair. That if we sit on it, we're not going to break it. And if we sit on it, it'll hold us up. And you see, that's what I'm calling a natural trust. There's a rational, emotional, we, we could even say logical act of natural trust and faith in the outworking of all of these things. Yet if your heart and mind is full of doubt, if you're unstable, fragile, and full of fear and insecure, you'll have a hard time trusting. And there are some people like that today, and there might even be someone listening to me tonight. But that's not the trust David is talking about. The trust that David is talking about is not a natural trust. David is thinking of what we call true saving faith. He's thinking of the trust that's a gift of God. Because here's the definition of trust. Trust is the sure reliance on the character, ability, strength, truth, wisdom of God. That's what biblical trust is. The sure reliance on the character, ability, strength, truth, wisdom of God. Now, is that the kind of trust you have? Because that's the real identifying mark of the child of God. When the Bible tells us have faith in God, it's telling us that we must have a sure reliance on the character, the ability, the wisdom, the truth, the power, the strength of God. And that's especially so in times of fear. Roger Higginson, during the coronavirus um, Outbreak. He, he told the story of a lady he, that he knew, an elderly lady, and she was in her 80s or maybe near her 90s, and one day in her home, she was going from the living room down into the bedroom, and she opened the bedroom door. Guess who was in the bedroom? Two burglars. They were big, tough men, balaclavas on, going through her belongings. Now, she's an old, frail individual. And she was asked this question, were you not afraid? And she shouted out to the burglars, I'm a Christian, and God will get you for this. And of course, the two burglars fled. She was afraid, yes. But she says, in God I trust. She used that incident to strengthen her faith in the Lord. And that became a real part of sanctification. To learn to trust in him at all times. As Psalm 62 uh, verse 7 or 8 says. Trust in him at all times. You people pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for him. Not only the definition of trust. But think very quickly. A declaration about trust. You see three times in the space of 13 verses. Here's the psalmist making this declaration. In God I trust. Now he wasn't denying the presence of fear. But he was telling us he was not trusting in self. He was trusting in the living and the true God. At times he was afraid. But he's dealing with his fear by making this declaration, in God I have put my trust. Now let me just share this thought with you. Ten times God is mentioned in this psalm. In verse 1 we read, O God... And then we come to verse 2, O thou most high. And then we come to verse 4, in God I will praise his word. And again in verse 4, in God 
I have put my trust. And then we come down to verse 7. We've got the words, O God. And then we, we, we come to verse 9. He says, This I know, for God is for me. In verse 10, In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. Verse 11, In God have I put my trust. Verse 12, Thy vows are upon me, O God. And verse 13, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And if you count them up, ten times the word God is mentioned. And here's David. He's saying, in God have I put my trust. And he's relying on God's character, God's ability, God's strength, God's wisdom, God's truth. You see, David knows God. Let me ask this. Do you know him? Is the living and the true God the object of your trust? You see, the object of David's trust was the Lord himself. He wasn't trusting in self. He's trusting in the Lord, in God. And the word for God there is Elohim, which takes us back to the words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This powerful, majestic creator and maker, the one who's the living and the true God, the one who is the master of David. He tells us, for that was delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? I want you to see thirdly and quickly the person that David adored. See, as I've told you, God has mentioned ten times. And that filled David's heart and mind. Now, now think of what he thought about God at that instant. He thought about God's mercy, for he prays, Be merciful unto me, O God. You see, mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. What does David deserve? What do you deserve? Well, like David, you're a sinner and you deserve death and judgment. And yet we learn what David learned, that God is, that that God exists, that God is approachable and accessible. Because what does David ask for? He asks for mercy. Be merciful unto me, O God. See, God is merciful tonight. Here's the person that David adored. God is merciful. He's thinking of the heavenly mercy seat. He's thinking of the blood-stained mercy seat by the high priest in the day of atonement. And he knows that the only approach that he has on the basis of the fact that God is merciful And God is merciful on the ground of the blood sacrifice of Christ. And he knows, therefore, he can only approach in the name of that blood sacrifice and in the name of the one whose blood was shed. That brings us to Calvary, the Lord Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. See, we're all sinners by nature and practice. We all deserve eternal death and judgment. And yet the message of the Bible is this. Here's the good news. God is merciful. On account of the life and death of the mediator and his shed blood, if we repent of our sin and confess it to God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember the publican in the temple? God be merciful to me, the sinner. See, He was thinking of the bloodstained mercy seat. And Jesus said that man, rather than the other, went home justified. You see, 
The Lord Jesus taught all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because those that come have a cry in their lips, be merciful unto me, O God. Do you remember David? He was relying on the mercy of God. If we go back there to Psalm 51, he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. See, David was a big sinner. Remember that when he was king, he, he, he murdered, he was guilty of adultery, he was guilty of lies and deceit and cover-up and covetousness and theft. He made a lot of big mistakes. D David's problems that he, 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 he brought about helped to destroy his family. And maybe he thought, there's no way back for me, there's no help for me. But there is. There was mercy from God. God is merciful. I want to ask the question, are you crippled by fear tonight? Are you crippled by sin? And you feel that you've destroyed yourself and your family and there's no way back for you? There's no hope? Oh, there is because God is merciful. And I want to say tonight, whatever the sin is, there's only one sin that can't be forgiven. And that's the unpardonable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. But whether the sin is coldness or carelessness, hypocrisy, worldliness, some little sin or some gross sin, there's mercy with God. There is hope because God is merciful. That mercy is found in Christ and the ground of the blood atonement. He has full confidence in the mercy of God when he asked for mercy. Mercy was given. Be merciful unto me, O God. He's not only confident of God's mercy, but he's confident of God's majesty. Look at the words in verse 2. O thou most high. You see, our God's the living and the true God. If I ask the question tonight, who is God? We'll answer with the words of the catechism. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now, that's a tremendous definition in our shorter catechism. And if we think not only who is God, and I've given you that answer, but think of what he's like. And of course, God is creator and maker. God is absolutely sovereign. God is holy. God is a trinity in unity. God is to be feared. God is love. God is pure, eternal light. Dwells in light unapproachable. God is life in and of himself. He's the eternal, self-existent God. And yet our God is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, kind, faithful. And at the same time, he's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's like. And I, I try to present that even in prayer so that we can learn and discover who and what our God is. Because you know why? Because loads of people haven't a clue. And you mentioned the name God and, and, and they're thinking of Buddha, and they're thinking of Muhammad, and they're thinking of Allah, and thinking of loads of other things. We need to think biblically. And what has our God done? We can think about the work of creation, the work of providence, the work of revelation, the work of redemption. That's God's majesty. Think of something else. God's mastery. Look with me in verse 4. In God I will praise his word. He mentions this again in the verse 10. In God will I praise his word. 
And then he adds, in the Lord will I praise his word. And notice the word Lord is in capitals. It has to do with the God of the covenant. The God who is faithful to his word. It refers to God's power and authority. Are we not inundated with many voices today? The opinions of men. If you look at the internet, people have got their own blogs. People have got their expertise to share with others. But I want to tell you, our God comes with the final authority. He comes with the word of truth. He comes with, thus saith the Lord. That's the key. Pilate asks, what is truth? And here's the answer. Thy word is truth. And David had complete confidence in the word of God. David was fully committed to the word of his God. And David commended the word of God. And for those who are disillusioned and full of despair and hearts are full of fear, um, think of the master's words, for they're true and faithful. And how many have lost their way? And how many preachers no longer trust in his word? I fear for the multiplicity of congregations that are not getting a faithful gospel message presented to them about the personal work of Christ and the call to repentance and faith in him. Many are not. You ought to be thankful. And I don't say that to commend myself to you. Here's God's mastery. And the psalmist had confidence in that. You think of the apostasy of our day. Those that have given themselves to gender ideology and climate change and, and goodness knows what is being preached and taught in many pulpits, but it's far removed from the gospel. Think of God's might. He says here in verse 9, this I know that for God is for me. Do you have that confidence tonight? Remember, Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 and 31. Think of his confidence in God's means. He says in verse 8, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Think of the words, thy bottle and thy book. Thou tellest my wanderings. You see, God knows. God knows David's in Gath before King Achish. God knows that life is difficult for him. God knows that this is a time of fear and time of tears. He knows that David is tired. He knows that David is frustrated. And he knows that you're tired and frustrated. He knows that life is difficult for you. He knows about the hard times. Your tears are stored up in his bottle. Your, your tears are recorded in his book. He knows the path that he has allocated for your feet. And in that providential dealing, you're to yield yourself to the Lord afresh. And even though it's dark and difficult, you're not to murmur. You're not to, to question God. In the life of faith, even though you're terrified, you're to trust him. In God, I have put my trust. David had daily fears and daily struggles. He was daily oppressed. He was daily in danger. And yet... He knew that the Lord was performing the very thing that he had appointed for him. Listen to what Job said, Job 23 and 14. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. You see, the key tonight is, here's the person that he adored. He filled his mind with confidence in God's mercy, majesty, mastery, might, and means. 
Do you know him? See, that's the key. Are you trusting in him tonight? And one final thing, the period that David addressed, he said, what time, I'm afraid. Think of the word time. He's thinking of his lifespan. We're only here for a little time. He mentions in this psalm the word daily, and he's living his life day by day, one day at a time. And this for David is the day of trouble. Nahum said, um, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and knoweth them that trusteth in him. And here in this period of time, David is trusting in the Lord for his help, his deliverance, his need. Whatever your need is tonight can be met. Do you need pardon from all your sins? The hymn writer said, I'm trusting thee for pardon. At thy feet I bow for thy grace and tender mercy. Trusting now. Do you need power? Here's a favorite verse of the late Dr. Paisley's, I'm trusting thee for power. Thine shall never fail. Words that thou thyself shall give me must prevail. Even though David was daily oppressed and daily distressed in Gath, even though they rested his words and twisted his thoughts, and even though it had a tremendous impact in David's mind, he said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. The period that David addressed, and whatever day of trouble comes to your life or mine, in that time, let us do what David did and say, I will trust in thee. Whatever you need tonight, help, deliverance, pardon, power, guidance, cleansing, let's trust in him.